Our theme this month is liberating love. It may seem strange to begin the year with a service so focused on grief, but the truth is we don't begin each year with a clean slate, right? Or with a heart unburdened by what it means to live in this world. We begin each year carrying in the heartbreak and the joy that accompanied our lives the year before. There is a saying, some of you might have heard this, that the size of our grief is the size of our love. But it's not that simple, right? Because grief can be complicated. A grief counselor once said to me that the hardest grief to carry is the one that you're carrying. Therefore, don't compare your grief to someone else's. Don't try to make it smaller in thinking that, oh, somebody else had it worse. So my heart shouldn't hurt this much. It's okay to feel as if your grief is hard to carry some days, or if you should be doing something differently with it. When I've had particularly hard deaths in my life, I became really focused on what it meant to grieve well. I wanted to do it right. Little inner strain of perfectionism, if anyone resonates. I wanted someone to tell me the right way to grieve. Someone to tell me that, oh, this is the way to get through this incredible amount of pain that I was experiencing. And not surprisingly, there is no one right way to grieve. In society, we still have trouble talking about and confronting death. It's ever present, yet when someone dies, we still don't quite know what to say. In seminary, which is the place where they teach you all the things to say, the mother of a friend of mine was dying, and I remember going over to her house and saying, how are you? And instantly in my head, I knew, hmm, you probably shouldn't have asked that or phrased it in a different way. It felt so awkward at the time. With death an ever-present part of life, what happens when someone is dying or with their loved ones as they pass is not a skill that's taught in schools. We all have our first experience with death to varying degrees of intensity, and we're forever changed by each life that interacts with our own and in the absence of them. And often it's that first experience that teaches us this is what grieving looks like. And depending on the family, that can mean not talking about it, right? We have, and so now as we grieve the people that we love and are connected to, we have a before, during, and after. And depending on the relationship, that after can last a long time. When someone beloved to us dies, we have an invitation to reinvent their, our lives, to figure out who we are without them, be it a partner, a best friend, or a child. A hole is left in our hearts in the shape of that person. And each day our task is to be tender with that vulnerable, aching space left behind. To be intentional about what we do with our grief. In Judaism, when someone dies, traditionally the clothing of the principal mourners is torn. Nowadays, sometimes a torn ribbon is worn. And this is to signify that the person is in mourning. It is a visible reminder of the grief that is carried. Additionally, for the first 12 months after someone dies, 
you are not supposed to ask the mourners, how are you? You allow them to grieve and just to be. This doesn't mean you can't inquire about their lives, but that forced, how are you? I'm, I mean, how do you respond? Eh, terrible. Um, all of that gets omitted, that forcing a response. Death brings up all of our baggage in ways that few other things do. We want to comfort the mourner and be with them, yet often the words coming out of our mouths are awkward at best and sometimes repeat harmful theology that somebody else told us. Things like, they are in a better place. Everything happens for a reason. Or the ever-present question of, were you close? All of these things take away from the impact of the death of loved ones. The truth is that death touches us all, and nothing that we say will make the grieving go faster, the pain less, or that heartache cease. And as we age, death becomes a part of life in ways that are hard to put into words, because living through your siblings, your friends dying, is a unique grief that accompanies the many losses of aging. When people close to me have died, I look for them everywhere, kind of like Tim shared in his chalice lighting from earlier. I want to see signs of them. I want to know that we're connected because in those moments after loss, all I feel is the space that is missing them. So I read all the books. I have seen a grief counselor and I've gone to support groups and I tried all the things. One of those things that I tried was booking an appointment with a medium. Now, something you'll learn about me is I'm the type of person who has a healthy amount of skepticism and a healthy amount of I'll try anything. And when I was in this place of deep, deep grief, I wanted someone to tell me that myself and the person I was grieving were still connected. I didn't tell many people about this appointment because I was worried about people's judgment. And that session with the medium was so incredibly helpful to me. It doesn't sit, that doesn't mean that it's going to be for you or for any others in here, but for me, it was part of my healing process. So if there's one thing that you take away from this homily today, other than Reverend Jessica sees mediums, I want you to know, I want you to know that whatever your grief looks like, however it shows up, and whatever you choose to do with it, this is a place of non-judgment. Because for some too, grief can be accompanied by anger. Anger that the person died, especially if it was unexpected or a traumatic death. In addition to calling a medium, when I was experiencing angry grief, I went to a rage room. Has anyone heard about a rage room? So rage rooms are, I have to make the pun, all the rage. Um, it was open, I had to take it, the door was open. So rage rooms are where you go and you pay these places to break things, that you get to break things. So you order your package, you reserve a time online and you can reserve like a crate of ceramics or 
Sometimes you can reserve like a full office setup for maybe people with some workplace stress they want to let out. Uh, you can also like add on plates you can write on and um, or just mixed, you know, mixed glassware. And so I went to this rage room and you also get to pick the music that you listen to. It's a very curated experience here. And I had long wanted to go, but this angry grief sent me there. And so I went with a friend and they were like, what do you want to listen to? And I had gone into the center and they were playing like some serious heavy metal. And so I said the complete opposite, kind of flippantly, just as a joke, Enya. <laughs> and so I spent an hour with a dear friend listening to Enya while breaking plates with bats. I would not say that my grief was a gift, but it was something that I was learning to carry and to work with and to live with. In her book, The Five Ways We Grieve, Susan Berger details the ways that people identify and process grief. These five ways are drawn from 10 years of research that was prompted by her reflections that if people do not grieve according to the pattern typified by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, how many of you are familiar with her stages of grief, right? If you're not going in that order, you know, oftentimes people feel like they're doing it wrong. So she studied the process of grief and how people reinvent their lives from it. So these five types are as follows, and I invite you to hear them and see if you see yourself reflected in some of them. Number one, the nomad. The nomad is someone who is adrift with their grief, someone who's still seeking a way to process the grief and reinvent themselves after the loss. Number two is the memorialist. This is someone who, according to Ms. Berger, creates rituals or concrete objects to remind them of their loved one. This helps them to feel connected and gives a physical reminder of that connection to their beloved. Number three are the normalizers. This type of processing is where one recreates their life from the loss and they're acutely aware of the impermanence of life. For example, say a partner dies, the normalizers remain open to love and finds a partner to recreate that sense of stability, warmth and love that they had with their previous partner. The fourth type is an activist. The activist takes the grief and fuels it towards making an impact upon the world and making it a better place. Whether they join or start a nonprofit dedicated to a cause close to the heart or related to the type of death, this type regains a sense of identity in activism. The fifth type is a seeker. According to Ms. Berger, the seekers experience their loss as a catalyst for philosophical inquiry into the meaning of life. They explore the range of human experience on this earth and the universe with all its mystery. They find comfort in belonging to groups with similar spiritual beliefs. She clarifies that we move from one type to the other depending on where we are in life. And we get to determine how we grieve and how we live. Some of you might be thinking right now, well, I identify with multiple types. That's totally me. Um, but Ms. Berger says you tend to have one primary type and you can fluctuate in and out of the others. And the point of identifying these is to give greater insight into the grief process. 
for validation and for connection. So much of mourning and loss is isolating. And our task as Unitarian Universalists is to come together to be with each other in the midst of all of this. <clears throat> so to go back to that harmful theology that I mentioned earlier, I do not believe that everything happens for a reason. But I do believe that we can choose to make meaning from everything that happens. And sometimes the meaning that we make is this makes no sense. From the great griefs in life, we can intentionally choose how we process that grief, how it changes us, and how we continue to find and make meaning. This work is the task of each person that lives each day, and we are all doing it, but we're not doing it alone. We are doing it together in community. As we come to this place and cry and breathe and just be, I mean, after all, how many places can you enter and spend an hour crying? Therapist's office and church. You are welcome here, however your grief manifests, however close you were to that person and with whichever identity you claim in the face of loss. You are welcome here, however you choose to move through your grief. May you know that this community will help bear witness. This is where liberating love comes in. This community bearing witness to each other, facing what it means to move through this world with a heart that is broken and whole together. We are loving each other into being. Whether the fabric of your clothing is torn, whether you have been a nomad for 15 years, you are welcome here. We will not tell you how to grieve, but we will acknowledge that grief is as present in life as breathing. Come into this place in the fullness of who you are and know you need not journey alone. And when you leave and you are a nomad, a seeker, a normalizer, an activist or memorialist, know that we are all in this together, journeying along privileged to be witness to each other's grieving, processing, and choosing life each day. Amen. <laughs>